Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, October 30th, the day before Halloween. Ooh, as the Canucks get set to take on the Los Angeles Kings in L.A. at the Staples Center later on this evening, 7 o'clock. Puck drop for that one. Uh, a couple more things to talk about from Monday night's action against the Florida Panthers before I get you all set up for tonight's game against the Kings. And, of course, I teased it at the end of yesterday's episode that uh, uh, that I had uh, some topics to talk about that I didn't have time for yesterday. That would, of course, be Louis Erickson, chief among them. Uh, the, the, that, of course... He, he drew back into the lineup, and he didn't just draw back in, but he played pretty darn well, all told. I was actually expecting Louie to perhaps swap spots as the game went on for Travis to maybe shuffle up the lines if the game had not been a blowout, and certainly that might have happened if the score was not you know, 4-1, nine minutes into the contest. The, we may have seen some shuffling. We may have seen some, uh, you know... <laughs> Some uh, wingers moving up and down with different centers trying to find a spark. There was no lack of spark, obviously, in Monday night's action as the Canucks rolled to a easy 7-2 to victory over the Florida Panthers. But uh, Louis Erickson played the entirety of the game on that fourth line with Jay Beagle and Tim Schaller, and he fit right in like a glove. He, he really, he, he honestly... <laughs> He was a lot better than I was expecting. You know, I was expecting them to put him on that line and find, okay, he doesn't have necessarily the kind of jam game that we're looking for from a fourth line that plays, honestly, at times more than our third line does. Uh, That might not have been the case. I don't have the ice time in front of me at the moment, but I will check on that before the episode is done. Uh, Regardless, you know, I, I, I had a feeling that Jake Vertanen and Louis Erickson might switch spots as the game rolled along, that Louis might find himself on that second line alongside Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat, just because Jake might be a more natural fit to replace Tyler Mott, a guy with speed, a guy with jam, a guy who can get in on the forecheck. And yet there was Louis Erickson doing all of those things on Tim Schaller's goal that made it 2 nothing early in the first period on Monday. He was getting in on the forecheck. He dug pucks loose. In fact, Tim Schaller talked about it in his post-game quotes after the game on Monday, and heck, I'll let you hear what Schaller had to say. Uh, my goal tonight was kind of the how we want to define our, our line is um, three guys in on, on a forecheck, not just one guy, not just two guys. Um, you know, Louie and Beagle had a great forecheck there, and that's what we want every shift. And um, yeah, that's that's how we want to play every night, every shift is uh, play hard. You know, be hard to play against, and, and goals will come. Louis, the guy who made his name in the NHL, the goal scorer. Now he's playing on a not playing on a line, but do you see a transition? He's making that transition. I mean, it's, some players can't, couldn't do that. Yeah, he's a smart player. He's been around long enough to to know uh, you know what what role he's playing night in night out. And I thought he played unbelievable tonight for for not playing uh, for a while. So um, credit to him for for keeping up with it. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's a heck of a player. He's been around. He's scored a lot of goals, um, and now he's playing a little bit of a different role. And I thought he played awesome tonight. Does that speak something to him? Like he's like some guys might pout or like, no, that's not what I'm here for. Like, but he yeah. accepts the role. Like, yeah, it's, that's just being a true professional. Um, you know, Louis is an awesome guy, and uh, he, you know, he knows knows what it takes to be in the lineup, and, and he did that tonight. Three guys in on the forecheck, doing what it takes to stay in the lineup. There it is. The words of Tyler. 
not Tyler Mott, Tim Schaller himself right there. Uh, of course, Louis drawing in for the injured Tyler Mott and uh, doing that role very, very well. I was honestly surprised, though. It's a good thing I didn't talk about Louis during yesterday's show because there was a change uh, overnight uh, or through the day, I guess, uh, on Tuesday. Louis Erickson's assist as he dug that puck loose to set up Jay Beagle, who found Tim Schaller out front for the goal, uh, was removed by the NHL. The NHL uh, dug into that play and I guess found that somebody on the Florida Panthers touched the puck between Louis Erickson stealing it along the end boards and feeding it to Jay Beagle. Jay Beagle with a primary assist. Jay Beagle now the only assist on the Tim Schaller goal, Schaller's fourth of the year. Louis Erickson has lost his point uh, that was, you know, part of the uh, I guess the part of the what made every single forward in the game on Monday have a point. Louis got that assist there. He was one of the 12, and now 11 of 12. Only one guy of the forwards who does not end up with a point. And it's so fitting for the ghost himself that you would see it initially. And when you look again, it's gone. That assist has vanished. Nothing but zeros on the stat line once again for old Louis Erickson. But he, you know what, he he did play well, and he does deserve to stay in the lineup while uh, Tyler Mott is injured. I'm not sure how much the lineup is going to change over the course uh, of this road trip, barring further injuries, but, uh, you know, Adam Gaudet is back with the team, and is he going to be able to replace uh, Brandon Sutter on the third line or shift Sutter over to the wing for Gaudet to draw in at center after Monday's performance? That's probably not going to happen, of course, uh, Sutter with the game-opening goal. Sutter with a pretty fine performance as the third-line center on Monday after uh, I basically torched both him and Michael Furland. And I talked about this yesterday. Look, there's plenty of reason to be down about Michael Furland. There were all kinds of reasons to raise significant eyebrows as to whether this guy was going to be able to live up to the contract that he signed. You know who had the most uh, concerning comments about Michael Furland uh, over the course of you know whether he was going to be able to live up to this contract? Michael Furland himself, who if you go back towards the end of last year, worried about his future in the game and his ability to recover from the concussions he suffered in Carolina last season. So there were red flags and not just of the hurricane variety at the end of last year for Michael Furland. And as he started the year slow here, I don't want to dislike him. I don't want to, you know, um, feel like there's a, a Berchi versus Furland war going on constantly in my brain. I want this guy to succeed. I want him to be the player uh, that the Canucks think he is when they, you know, brought him in uh, at that contract. I want him to live up to that deal. I want him to be the guy that we saw in the playoffs for Calgary four years ago. That's also four years ago. He plays a taxing style. If he can turn it around, if he can show some signs of life, if he can play the kind of game that he played on Monday with some regularity where the guy looked like he had hands, he was making plays, he was making moves, he was having some fine dishes to set up some goals, exited the game with two assists, as I mentioned in yesterday's show. If that's the kind of player that he can be on a consistent basis, I've got no complaints with that. If that's the kind of player that he can you know, routinely uh, perform as uh, over the course of this year, then it will be no time at all until he's back uh, in that top six, which is where they wanted him all along. Uh, can Antoine Roussel bump him out of that spot, perhaps, if he gets there uh, when Antoine comes back from injury? Yes, I do believe that's what will happen. I do believe our second line, uh, looking out for the rest of the year, uh, the Canucks' second line will consist of Bo Horvat, 
uh, Tanner Pearson and Antoine Roussel. I do believe that's what will happen. Uh, I've said it many times, Roussel and Horvat have undeniable chemistry, and there's gonna, they're going to need to find a place for Antoine Roussel. It's, it's going to happen, and that, it makes sense to put him on Horvat's line, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. In the meantime, you know, is Jake Vertanen the permanent fit there? Not necessarily. He's playing well right now, but there is certainly room for a Michael Furland if he can string some strong games together here to uh, step back into the upper six in the lineup and be the uh, top six scorer that he was initially acquired to be. And look, you look at his points per game pace over uh, you know the the several years of his career. He's never been much more than a 39, 40, 41 point guy. He is producing at about that rate already in Vancouver, despite the fact that he has, as I mentioned, had a pretty terrible start. But Louis Erickson, in the meantime, uh, did a fine job on the forecheck, and it's unfortunate that he would lose that assist. But hey, you feel good for him for having a performance like that in the first place and hope that uh, this is the start of maybe some turnaround uh, for Louis Erickson as well. There's some redemption arcs here in the early season in Vancouver. Are we at that stage? Is Louis Erickson such an underdog that you're rooting for him to succeed again? At his contract rate, probably not. I think we're still all rooting for him to eventually pack it in early and retire and, and you know free the city of this onerous contract, free the team in particular of that cap hit. Uh, but in the meantime, if he's going to be here, he may as well be a contributor. And on Monday night against the Florida Panthers, he certainly was that. But if Louis Erickson did draw into the lineup on Monday, just as I told you he would, well, there was one element of my game day preview of Monday night's action that was incorrect. And that's who was going to be the starting netminder for the Vancouver Canucks. Jacob Markstrom uh, was in the starters net in practice on Sunday. He was in the starters net uh, during the morning skate on Monday as well. By all accounts, he was expected to get the start against his old team uh, until late in the day. They changed their mind, did the Canucks. As we mentioned yesterday, Thatcher Demko between the pipes to pick up the win in Monday's action against the Panthers, and it was called a reset day for Jacob Markstrom uh, to just, uh, I guess, get his head right. And, you know, I talked about the the mental turmoil that he has been going through, uh, whatever this personal issue that required him to head back to Sweden and then come back and rejoin the team. When I had Nathan Cadell on the show about a week and a half ago now, we talked about the fact that, yes, Diving right back into your work can be a benefit. It can help distract you from whatever personal problems are ailing you uh, at the time. It just, you know, it's it's a good thing to just be able to focus on something else for the time being. Uh, it did not seem in Friday's action in the third period against the Washington Capitals uh, that Jacob Markstrom was able to maintain that focus. He was not his outstanding self that he has been to this point in the season and maybe giving him a, a day off, just a mental break from you know having to go through the rigors of, of being a starting goaltender and the mental stress that comes along with that. Probably good for him in the end. Look, the guy the guy traveled to Sweden and back and then jumped right back into the lineup. That is not an easy thing to do by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it was asking a lot of him to put in the kind of performances that he has. And look, we don't even know what the situation is. All we know is that the way it's been talked about by uh, anyone on the team who's been asked about it, and that's mostly Travis Green, is that it is a, a significant issue and that the, the things that Jacob was able to do after he returned from his leave of absence 
uh, were, you know, Herculean efforts on his part and showed an enormous amount of mental fortitude and toughness to be able to do what he did. Uh, I don't want anybody, as I've said multiple times on the show over the last several days, to be upset with him, to be, uh, you know, angry at all uh, with, you know, the way that things went down during the Detroit game. I think we've all had such a good time uh, watching the team beat up on the Panthers on Monday night that hopefully we can leave that one in the past. And ultimately, look, the Canucks got a point out of that game. Should they probably have gotten two points? Yes. Ultimately, that is correct. They probably deserve to win that game with the way they played as a team overall. Uh, it just didn't happen for them on that night, and these things happen over the course of the season. No harm, no foul. Now that it's in the rearview mirror, now that there's been another game since then, I hope any sort of uh, you know uh, bitterness and anger towards Markstrom's performance can just be let go, and I hope uh, Markstrom is able to do that as well because you know there is no harsher critic of the man's work than he himself, as he has shown us in some fiery uh, post-game pressers over the last several years here. So uh, he is expected to draw back in tonight as the team takes on the Kings in Los Angeles, and he's probably going to get the San Jose game, I would imagine, uh, as well coming up on Saturday because this team is playing back-to-backs in Anaheim and San Jose on Friday and Saturday, Thatcher Demko going to play one of those games. And as a guy from San Diego, I would imagine he's going to want one of those SoCal starts. It's not going to happen against L.A., just given the way that things have gone in the crease of late. I don't think you're going to see Demko start uh, consecutive games when Markstrom is the guy. He is still the guy. He is still the star starter for this team. He's going to get tonight's game against the Kings. And if you had to pick of the back-to-backs coming up this weekend, uh, a SoCal guy like Demko will probably get to play in front of his family in Anaheim, and Markstrom will take the game against the Sharks on Saturday. All of these teams on this road trip are eminently beatable. They are not very good. I know Drew Doughty said a team like that should not be beating a team like us, but let me tell you what kind of team the LA Kings are, This uh, <laughs> these secrets that Drew Doughty does not want the world to know, even though they are eminently available on the standings page on NHL.com. The Los Angeles Kings are currently the third worst team in the NHL. They have four regulation wins and zero overtime points over the course of their opening 12. They are 4-8-0, and oh, good for eight points total. Uh, They are one point ahead of the lowly Ottawa Senators and two ahead of the New Jersey Devils, uh, tied for, I guess, 28th with the Minnesota Wild and uh, Chicago Blackhawks as well. So there's a a handful of teams down there in the basement at the moment, but I would imagine that the L.A. Kings, uh, unlike perhaps Minnesota or, you know, I I even like Ottawa's chances perhaps of escaping the, the bottom three more than I do the L.A. Kings this year. And why is that? Well, the Vancouver Canucks at the moment have the second-best goal differential in the entire league. They are tied with the Pittsburgh Penguins for second overall uh, with a plus 15, if I am not mistaken. Uh, That is correct, plus 15. And the Los Angeles Kings, well, they are way down at the bottom. Minus 18 goal differential on the year through the opening 12, of course, when a team like the Canucks dummies you for an 8-2 final. That doesn't really help uh, with the goal differential overall. That's minus 6 of their total right there. Uh, But things not going very well for the uh, Kings elsewhere as well. When you look at their roster heading into tonight's action, we're going to see a number of ex-Canucks on this road trip. 
Uh, Eric Goodbranson, chief among them, coming up when the Canucks play the Ducks on Friday night. And look, when people talk about the opportunity that the Canucks have to make the playoffs this year, the teams that are going to be worse than them in the West, this is like the prime example. Look, obviously the Kings were bad last year. It's not like uh, this is a team that finished ahead of Vancouver overall last year anyways. But when you look at the Pacific Division, there are some real uh, bad teams in here. All three California teams really at the moment Fitting that description, you would think that the Sharks would be a a perennial powerhouse, especially locking up Eric Carlson and having a defense that includes both Carlson and Brent Burns, having two of the top defensemen in the game being able to eat up about 50 minutes of ice between the two of them combined, uh, that they would be a natural playoff team. Until they get better goaltending, until they are more consistent up front, there's probably going to be a trade made from the Sharks to uh, try and firm up their goaltending situation as the year goes along, I would imagine. But that's not entirely the only problem with San Jose. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself on this road trip. What I mean to be talking about right now are this is like the prime example of why they can dummy up on bad teams within their own division and finish ahead of them and potentially make the playoffs this year because you look at the LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks and you see a pair of former Canuck defensemen on their top pairings. Look, good Branson, by the time the Canucks play them on Friday, might be a second-pair guy uh, for the Anaheim Ducks. Heck, his stock might have fallen so low he slipped all the way down to the third pair by then. But when he was brought in this past weekend, he was brought in to play on the Ducks' top pairing. That is a recipe for disaster, as we know all too well here in Vancouver. And as Drew Doughty is finding out at the moment, Things not faring much better when you look at this Kings roster. They are coming into tonight's action with a top pairing of Ben Hutton and Drew Doughty. Ben Hutton is currently on the top pair left side ahead of Alec Martinez, who, you know, is anchoring that second pairing. I guess the Kings trying to spread the wealth a little bit so that they have a dependable defenseman on each pair. And I'm not entirely down on Ben Hutton. I don't think he's the worst defenseman in the world. In fact, I would even say that there were stretches last season when Hutton and Goodbranson were relied on as a top pairing uh, in the absence of both Chris Tanev and Alex Edler due to injuries where those guys played out of their minds. They did deliver the goods for a good two-week span, but relying on them to do that over a course of an entire season or at least in the case of Anaheim, uh, over the course of a significant injury on their defense, it's not going to work. It's not going to hold up. It's not holding up already. And, you know, you look at this, you look at this Kings team, they are not even, you know, utilizing their, their forwards to the best of their abilities. I guess this was a thing with Willie Desjardins last year, and this is now a, a thing with Todd McClellan this season as well. Ilya Kovalchuk, a man making a good deal of money. I guess he's the Louis Erickson of the LA Kings, making $6 million currently to play on their fourth line. And uh, I mean, it's sad because Ilya Kovalchuk was one of my favorite players in the league uh, in his prime. But I guess it makes sense when you think about it because he was one of my favorite players basically 16 years ago now. So the idea that he is still playing in the NHL at all is uh, something of a marvel. 
But regardless, their roster is full of names that you've never heard of and not even in a these guys are new burgeoning stars kind of way, guys who have yet to make their names as as real, uh, I guess, household renowned stars in this league. They are guys that you've never heard of for a reason. And Jeff Carter is on their top line. I love Jeff Carter, or I did several years ago. It's like a Kovalchuk situation. They are full of old favorites. Only guys like Kopitar and Doughty, however, are still able to bring the goods on a consistent basis. Add it all up, and it sounds like a recipe for another guaranteed win night for the Vancouver Canucks, barring, of course, uh, an inspired effort from the Kings who are just so fired up to prove that a team like that cannot beat a team like us the way they just did. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Even, you know, trying to put on a show for their home fans the way the Canucks did on opening night, it's not going to happen for L.A. this time. And in fact, if the Canucks are who we think they are, if they really want to cement themselves as a team that has turned the corner and is a potential playoff-bound team this season, they should be looking for the full sweep on this road trip, whether they're able to do it. I mean, we shall see. It's a different story, easier said than done, but... Uh, These are all three very beatable teams, and you should be coming home after this with at least five of six points, I would hope. One last thing before we wrap up here and call it a day. Uh, Of course, a complete effort on the ice from the Vancouver Canucks on Monday night uh, in a 7-2 victory over the Florida Panthers, but I have to tip my cap to the team off the ice as well, the PR team. Uh, in particular, deserves uh, as many bouquets as we can throw at them for a complete effort off the ice, too. Because, I mean, let's start with let's start with in the press box where Jeff Patterson celebrated his 50th birthday on Monday and was treated to a special surprise as his family, his wife and children, were in the press box waiting for him when he arrived at the arena to work the game on Monday night with uh, a birthday cake and everything. Uh, The Vancouver Canucks PR department very much in on the game, helping arrange that, uh, helping the Pattersons make that happen uh, for Jeff on his 50th as he was working on his birthday. That alone deserves a kudos. That alone deserves a a hats off, a tip of the cap, a little uh, golf clap, if you will for the job that they did on Monday night, but it continues beyond that. And this is not just kudos to the Canucks PR team, but kudos to Travis Green as well, because it wasn't just the Pattersons in the house on Monday night, but the Botchfords were there as well. You've probably heard this already uh, in the days since the game on Monday, but uh, Kat Botchford, of course, the widow of the late great Jason, an inspiration to so many in this city, including myself, Uh, She was in the building along with her three children on Monday uh, at the request of Travis Green. Travis reached out to the family and wanted them to be able to come and see uh, the the press box and and the arena and the the areas, the hallways within the bowels of the arena, the, the media availability room perhaps, I'm not sure about that, but just the spots and the places and the things uh, that, that Jason would do throughout his career uh, covering the Canucks, the, the places that he would go, the places where he would work. Travis invited the family and especially the kids to come see uh, the place where their dad, you know, made magic, essentially, the place where their dad made an impression on so many people. And, uh, you know, not just Travis Green uh, deserves kudos for for reaching out and, and making that happen for the family, but 
Uh, Canucks players as well, Elias Pettersson in particular, made himself very available to the family and was uh, you know signing autographs, uh, signing jerseys uh, for the kids, and of course. Uh, Petey, uh, a player who had a special connection with Jason as well. So, um, you know, it's a hard hard thing for me to talk about right now without, you know, tearing up a little bit here. So uh, as, as much as I have criticized Travis Green and some of his roster decisions and some of his deployment ideas and, and all this and all that, we are, you know, nitpicking minute details. On the whole, I have nothing but respect for Travis Green as a human being. He seems like somebody who who really gets it. Um, he seems like a, a fantastic person and evidence of it right there, the fact that he would make that happen for the Botchford family. So uh, kudos not just to the team for their performance on the ice, which was as good as it gets, but uh, you know, off the ice, they were as good as it gets on Monday night as well. And uh, it's, it's, it's great to see, honestly. It really, it, it's easier to cheer for an organization uh, when they do things that make you cheer for them as people beyond just as hockey players, um, and Monday night was one of those nights. So wanted to squeeze that in before we called it a day. That's it for today's show. I hope you feel uh, all prepared to watch the Canucks take on the Kings in Los Angeles later this evening. Enjoy the game. I will be back, of course, tomorrow morning to break it all down for you and talk about what I hope is another big-time blowout victory. The Canucks have scored at least five goals in their last three. Can they go for four against this L.A. team, against the way Jonathan Quick has looked so far this season, especially the way he looked here during the home opener in Vancouver? I really think that is a good possibility. Fingers crossed. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, until tomorrow, I've been saying it, of course, at the end of every episode lately, but it would do me a big solid if you head on over to wherever you get the show and leave us a, a quick review, uh, rate and review the program, and it gives us a little boost in the algorithms, helps people find it, helps more people discover the program, and that's a little... Uh, Help that you can give back to me for doing this show for you each and every day if you happen to enjoy it. Of course, if you want to hear more of me, I haven't mentioned this on Locked On Canucks as of yet. Uh, I am also one of the rotating hosts of the Locked On NHL weekly show as well on our national feed. Uh, every Wednesday afternoon, C. Morley and I of Locked On Sharks and Fear the Fin uh, talk about what's going on in the Western Conference. It's Western Conference Wednesdays with C. Morley and myself. And then I do a one-on-one -on -one interview with a big name from around the NHL uh, each and every Thursday for the Thursday interview. You can find both of those shows every single week on Locked On NHL, and I'll be over there doing that too uh, today and tomorrow. So uh, if you enjoy this show so much that you want to hear two extra episodes from me every day, that's where you can do it. And of course... As I mentioned, please rate and review. That's all I ask in return. Until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.